Well, it's like when I hear the thump in the in the in the car when I'm driving down, yeah. and and so I just turn up the radio. Yeah. <laughs> okay, and for everybody listening, he gave that analogy pretty quickly. You're driving along and you hear a bum. Yeah, it's pothole. He's turning up the radio. The best way to deal with what just happened. Okay, well, I'm in a pothole, but you're making it sound like I had a person. <laughs> and if I had a person, you could have. Hey there, if you've joined the podcast today, my name is Chris Jarvis. I work with companies on employee giving and volunteering programs. And my name's Jake McIsaac. I spend a lot of time thinking about public safety and restorative justice. So we are having conversations here that we've been having for 20 years. Yeah, the only difference now is we press record and share it with you. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, I tell Chris a story about a guy who had to get out of the city, get to the farm to just do some work. We dig into it a little bit around addiction and identity. And from there, we explore purpose economy, diversity, equity, inclusion lists, behavior modification, and the difference between lists that seek to tell you what behavior is accepted and lists that give you resources and insight into how to change your behaviors. Chris, I was thinking this week about um, a story we, when we were volunteering in Halifax. Um, at the Sunday supper, there was a guy, um, you'll recognize him. I won't say his name. We'll call him Bob. <laughs> That's the universal name. Yeah. Bob or Bill. Those are Bill, my two go-to Bill, names. Yeah. Billy Bob. Bill. <laughs> so, yep. so let's go with Bob. All right. Um, and I, w- I was thinking about how um, the, the, the time that folks from a local church uh, really wanted to help Bob. And so they had this farm outside the city and uh, Bob was a sort of uh, unhoused and uh, struggling with addiction and, and sort of a lot of things that would not surprise, but just a, just a really great guy when, when you'd get a chance to hang out at the Sunday suppers. And so this group of folks decided we got to rescue Bob. Let's get Bob out of the city, out okay. to the farm. Yeah. Get him all cleaned up. And Bob thrived while he was at the farm. Okay. And this is in Nova Scotia. And this was part of the work we were doing at, um, still known as the Sunday Suppers. I think it's been going since yeah. 1985, right? Okay. Yeah. All right. So I, I was just remembering that when, when he came back to the city, um, how he had uh, changed, and and uh, there was this, there was these few weeks uh, when he was coming back around, and how how well he seemed to be doing. Right. That I was shocked to to learn uh, just weeks later that he was found having broken into someone's house. Actually, one of the homes of the women who took him away. Uh, yeah, who made it possible. Yeah, okay, and now I know who you're talking about. Yep, right. Yep. Okay. And it got me thinking about um the the value of getting away and 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 resetting and relearning uh to navigate a world. Like there was a bit of an interruption there that is interesting to think about for Bob. Just wanted to think that through with you a little bit today. Yeah, in, in in terms of changing behavior and even perspective and and how you perceive the world, it, it is kind of interesting. And, and obviously, it makes me think of 12 Steps, which, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if you've ever done this kind of work before, and we, we brought it up in previous uh, podcasts, there's this 
emphasis on new people in new places because when you're hungry, when you're bored, when you're tired, these are these and a few others are sort of triggers for the old behavior. They're, right. they're this, uh, you know, behavioral science would say we don't, we're not really aware of why we make a choice A, B, or C. We we rationalize it later, so it makes sense to us. But typically, hardwiring. Yeah, eighty to ninety yeah. percent of our actions are just reactions to our environment, and they're known as cognitive biases. And there's about 180 of these mm-hmm. um, that we uh, that we use. And so it, it is interesting when you think about Bob, that's what we're calling him, right? Bob. Bob. And him, him following through on some of that, new places, new people, and kind of being in this place of serenity, yeah. and then coming back to the old context, and then it doesn't take hardly any time at all and those old behaviors reappear. I wonder about sometimes um, the oversimplification of, of transformation, right? So when we right. sort, of re- sort of new place, new space, new connections, but what are we doing and paying attention to the conditions required for long-term success or sustained yeah. change? Yeah, yeah. Um, and sustained, so- like like sustained pro-social like the kind of behavior that you want to see in your life and others around you yeah would want like, to see. What, like what what would you need for that and, and right and so when we do that kind of work i know it's kind of taking one example and making it live somewhere else so i want to be careful that i don't do that but i i've been thinking about that in terms of our uh, diversity equity and inclusion and accessibility conversations uh we hope for that too right so we go and we have these training sessions it's like taking people to the corporate farm right <laughs> yeah exactly yeah <laughs> right? yeah 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 and we, we yeah. take them out of their work environment a day and a half and, you and i both do yeah. this yeah. yeah in the in the conference room yep but then we we they come back from the farm and it, i think they'll admit that they had a great time at the training session yeah they learned new things yeah it was kind of cool yep so what oh and and okay. so what well what's the negative way to go there yes <laughs> But just all well, the DEI specialists. So what? Who is this yeah. Jake McIsaac fella? But, yeah, but I, you're well, right. I, I, I have those so what moments too. When I like, right. I, I will leave a really great event, and uh, it's it's awkward when you're facilitating such a thing, and driving away going, I wonder will that actually matter? <laughs> I mean, it was a great no. afternoon, but did any of it take root? Will any of this make a difference? Okay, now now you sound like what we sound like. I realize we're talking about <laughs> volunteering that is transactional. Great day out of the office. We had a great time. We feel good about it because we we know we did something good. Yeah. But back in our original habitat, the ecosystem from which we sprang, if it's just transactional, you'll adopt the old ways of knowing and doing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, and this is this is for us a trick, and maybe this is an interesting thing to talk about. That three-hour event out of the office did not provide individuals the skills they need to make meaning. Meaning, right? <laughs> meaning. Um, I had an experience. What does it mean? What kind of mean? The sense making. The sense making process. Yeah. The meaning making process. So there is no mean. There is no experience that you will ever have as a human being that is objectively this or that. It, it just that's not how we experience the world. We all decide what something mean. So I remember, um, I, I just mentioned the story the other day 
Uh, and I want to get into 12, the, the actual list of 12 steps because mm -hmm. they, they do, it is a list. Okay. And I, and I know I'm talking over, I'm tripping over my own wires here a little bit, but when you think of diversity, equity, inclusion, it can be easily, easily become a list. And yet check 12 boxes. steps is a list. Yeah. yeah check the boxes kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. And we're not at, at this point, we're not saying that list is wrong. What we're, what I want to bring up with you is how 12 steps, which is a list of 12 uh, things can actually help. But if you reduce it like DEI to mm -hmm. a list without understanding how the list is meant to be used to bring meaning to your experience, you're going to be a little bit like our friend, Billy Bob, right? Just, just for anyone listening, who's not familiar, catch us up on what working the steps look like. What, what, what do you mean? Well, for anybody who doesn't know, there are 12 steps. It's called the big blue book. Um, there's uh, that's AA. Then there's NA narcotics anonymous. AA stands for alcoholics anonymous. And then there's a whole lot of other versions. There's one called overcomers, which is kind of a more Christian based one. Um, that is for NA and AA. And anyways, when I was in Halifax and when this event happened around the same time as this event happened with, with Bill that you uh, shared already. Bob, Billy Bob, Billy Bob. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I talked to somebody and, mm -hmm. and for those of you listening today, you're going to hear me um, maybe uh, repeat some words or sound a little different. And I just want to explain, I have Tourette's syndrome. So my Tourette's is a little bit active today, so it, it will affect uh, how I talk a little bit. Hopefully I'm not going to curse. We can catch that. But I think we were talking about 12 steps. We're back to 12, yeah. Here we go. So um, anyways, this woman uh, came to me. She's very upset. And she said, uh, you know, I've got to talk about this problem I have. And I said, totally. I, I This happens to me often. It's just a weird thing. I said, is it, are you using marijuana? Now, this is a long time ago, before <laughs> marijuana was legal in Canada, all across the country. This is back in 97 or 98. I don't know. And she said, oh, my gosh. How did you know? Can you smell it on me? How do you know? I said, oh, oh, no, no. I just, I was just guessing. I don't, I didn't know. I said, but I tell you what, I know if you're feeling bad about it and you don't want to do it, let's just go to, you should go to a 12-step group. And she said, oh, I'm too scared to go by myself. I said, well, I'll go with you. And that was it. Boom. Two years. Almost every Sunday, went to 12 Steps. Uh, and it was a big part of my life go, working through those 12 Steps. Uh, phenomenal approach to not managing or controlling my, my behavior. Insights into why it happens and what I can do about it. So in pop culture, there's been lots of references to these, right? Uh, yep. These moments. You'll see them in meetings, uh, in movies, these 15, 30 second um, sound bites where someone's standing in some dingy basement of yeah. a church basement or community church center. Basement, always. And yeah. uh, really sad. And, and, and people kind are gathered around. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a podium and someone walks up and says, you know, hi, my name's Jake and I'm yeah. an alcoholic. And, and then they tell a story. Is it so yeah. pr pretty accurate? Yeah. So, um, there's no identifiable leader to 12 steps. There's no promotion. It's all anonymous, obviously. So you're not going to drive down the road. Uh, you know, um, other organizations may say, come to our service on this morning or come to this, or, you know, there's this sort of growth mentality, like a private sector mentality to behavior management groups, maybe religious groups and that kind of thing. You will never see that with 12 steps. 
I mean, it is part of the rules. So, so there's going down the street. There's no, uh, yeah. There's so no it's promotion. What, universally understood, adopted. If you are dealing with, if you come to the moment, they call it your. If you've reached your bottom, which I know sounds strange, but if you think about yourself in an elevator, how far down you can can you go before you're so sick and tired of being sick and tired? You want to to get out, and everybody has a different level. Like some people can go way, way, way down, and your disease, your now, and that's obviously modern science has questioned the use of the word disease. But the idea is that this is an addiction, a, a set of behaviors that is trying to kill you. It's not conscious, obviously, but it's a set of behaviors that is self destructive and will lead to your death. Right. The loss of all your friends, family. And the loss of, yeah, just chaos. Everything. Absolute just chaos. chaos. Yeah. And so 12 Steps says, I, I, this is how I understand it now. Let's acknowledge your behaviors. Let's work through why they're happening. Where, what is the origination of your response to that trigger in the environment? Lots of friends and family come over. There's a little bit of fighting. First thing I want to do is go get a drink. Why? Forget about whether getting a drink is wrong or not. Let's just say, what's going on? Why is that happening? Understand it. Then just, then you get to a place where you can say, is getting a drink going to be the best uh, course of action? Is there another course of action? What are the other ones that you want to consider? And then moving forward. So I, I think it's kind of cool for mapping that out. And I think it does provide, you know, a, a bit of a roadmap in understanding how to bring meaning to experience versus how most of us are raised, which is, I don't know. It's, it is interesting when you think through the steps, there's, they're kind of broken down into this, uh, it, it's this iterative process. So you're constantly working it, you get, you get through and you're, you, you don't ever arrive. So you're just, yeah. you, you keep, uh, processing each step. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking about the role of, uh, it, one of the, one of the categories is you have to self-reflection. You've got to learn something about yourself. You have to rationalize something about and that powerless moment that you're talking about, you've hit rock bottom, but you can't just stay there. It starts to give you things, steps to take to not be there. How do you rebuild these relationships? How do you reconnect with people you've harmed? How do you continue to understand your own moral uh, failings or this moral inventory they talk about? Like this, you know, uh, you, you have to process your behavior differently and, and have yeah. this. Um, sense if you can introduce this idea of personal failure then you don't have to resist it as much thinking you've got all your shit together that everything's just great so which leads to ignoring the problem right it's like when i yeah, it it's does, like when i hear the thump in the in the in the car when i'm driving down yeah. and and so i just turn up the radio yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay and for everybody listening he gave that analogy pretty quickly you're driving along and you hear a bottom yeah, it's pothole. Is season. turning up the radio the best way to deal with what just happened? Okay, <laughs> nothing well, happened. I'm moving along oof. as fast as I can. Well, I'm in a pothole, but you're making it sound like I had a person. <laughs> and if I had a person, you could have. Yeah, right. <laughs> a, an unconsidered life, you could have easily hit a pothole or a person, but you have a practice whereby you are not concerned with figuring right. that out. Right? right. That's not the goal. Right. Going back to DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, it feels like here's a list of 
How many people of color should be, or ver- shades of color should be on your senior leadership? Here's what you should be doing. Here are the groups you should have. And it could easily be a list, but so could 12 steps. If it's not, if we allow people to use the list the way that's most comfortable, I- I'm going to avoid the first step. And so let me just reframe the yeah, first step. Because guess what Guess what that would be like? Yeah, okay. So here it is with with bias, Okay. I admitted that I was powerless over my own biases and that my life is unmanageable because I am not living a considered life in these biases. I'm just triggered by my environment and responding out of that. And I can't see it when it's happening. There's a level that is on. It's un, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to have those thoughts. I don't want to have those initial reactions. Um, that's a hard place to go. And I don't think most DEIs, efforts start with that because when they do, and I, okay, you're probably going to say the same thing. Here's the reason you can't make people go to 12 steps. It has to be voluntary. The moment you sit me in a seat and tell me you're an alcoholic is the moment I tell you to blank off, get out of my way. I'm not going to be here. And everything you share from here on out is an attack on my identity. Yes. That was exactly, exactly where I was going, the role of an intervention, right? There there is this alert moment where we use language in 12-step like, my name's Jake, and I am an alcoholic. So I've realized this about it. That is very different than everyone else in an intervention type space (laughs) coming around. His name is Jake, and he is an alcoholic. He's ruining my life. We want to let you know. And and there were whole shows, right? The A&E did a long series about interventions, and they would show the chaos. They'd bring the family together, and someone would say- Oh, wait. What was that show? I don't- Intervention, A&E. Oh, I'll have to go look that up. Sounds stressful. Okay. Yeah, it was. It'll set off my Tourette's for sure. it, It was emotionally charged. But it would give people language to describe what they were seeing, It would, mostly for the families and the, the friends and those people who are being impacted in that, that chaos uh, all around the, uh, the person who was using. But it was this interesting moment where the community gathered around and they would just call the behavior for what it is. And it was really, really hard until the person who was listening got to that moment themselves and you could see the shift. So there was this they had to orient to this new alert, yep. right? They yep. had to, the, you can see this moment sometimes, even on their faces, their expressions, the rigid body language, shoulders yep. drop, they start to lean in and pay attention. And I wonder if the, the DEI version of that is, hi, my name's Jake and I'm a racist. Now, people are going to, right? It no, would it be. would be. It yep. is that. It but, would be. But so then is or the goal of, training sessions or education or these experiences that we do to set the intervention. Is that what we're doing? Well, okay. Now here is the really interesting difference in my mind anyways. And I would love to hear from anybody uh, with background in any of this stuff. uh, Or even if you don't, and you've got an opinion, leave a comment for us uh, about what I'm about to say, but it's this alcohol and alcoholism is not entirely embraced in society. In fact, we frown on it. There's a lot of negative around it. You shouldn't be an alcoholic. You're drunk. A lot of judgment words. It's not treated as a disease. Addiction isn't treated. It's uh, criminalized in the United States. So it is a horrific thing for which we send people, unless you're a functional alcoholic, to prison. So there's a lot of functional alcoholics 
and the system allows them to stay operational. I totally understand that. I'm not here to talk about that. But when you get the bias, the system is quite willing to not only accommodate it, but reward it. Right. So bias yeah. is fundamentally different than alcoholism in that the broader society operates using it versus trying to judge it, mm. criminalize it, minimize it, don't want to see it. Bias, I mean, we can talk all we want about diversity, equity, inclusion, how implicit bias uh, is what we're trying to deal with. I, and I, to be fair, I don't think it should be criminalized, judgy, or anything. And I, and I don't think addiction should be either. I think we should treat it as a disease and get medical attention for people in addiction. I think taking off the layer of shame gets people to a place where they can admit that they have an issue and they want help. Okay. We don't have that for racism. Yeah, we do. We have human rights legislation. We know what we I mean is of rules. Yes. Okay. So then again, but I think you're making my point here in right. that, um, what we don't want to do is see it at, see it overt, overt or, or, um, not implicit bias, but conscious bias. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't want to see that. That does that does break us. But I, well, I think it it hasn't always. <laughs> it ha it does recently, right? So when we see it overtly, we talked yes. on this a little bit. Ob obviously, uh, that's a good point to make. Right? Historically, it, this has only been a recent where we we find it distasteful. Yeah, so it, it's it's we where we find it distasteful, and so when we yeah. find something distasteful, then we have to respond yeah. to it and react to it. And this is where sometimes the the accusation is that we're just being performative in it. You don't actually find it distasteful. You just know that you have to respond to this. Yeah, we, you know, we take a hard line against that kind of yeah. behavior here. Well, yeah. do you? Yeah. So if you can't get somebody who's dealing with their alcoholism to deal with it by taking them to a room, telling them, here's why you're an alcoholic, here are the behaviors you're exhibiting, and here's the way out, that just zero 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 point zero 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 percent chance of ever working, ever. Mm -hmm. Bias is the same way. You can bring people right. in and educate them about here. Here's what alcoholism is. Here's what the 12 steps are. Here's what faces people. And all that information can be given to somebody and they can do something with it. But giving people the list and the definitions and all that information, while incredibly helpful, doesn't get them to a place where they are going to take step one. Admit I'm powerless over my bias any more than putting people in a room and saying, Here's what bias is. Here's what implicit bias is. Here's how it hurts people, blah, blah, blah. That step does not get you to a place where you would ever, ever stand up and say, hi, my name, unless it was just like part of the formula for the moment, or you've had your own personal issues, but you're not going to stand up and say, oh, based on this information, I'm quite willing to say, hi, my name is Chris and I'm a racist. Because I haven't had the experience yet mm -hmm. where I think, holy cow. I think I am a racist. Yeah. You exactly. need that experience. You so, need that experience. Walk us through that then, that alert orient act kind of uh, yeah. a formula like you you just said. Uh, so it's a it's a simplification of a of a description of how uh neural pathways grow in your brain. So this is all oh, so for all the behavioral scientists and neuroscientists out there, I apologize for how this is gonna come across. <laughs> Alert Orient Act is this, is this simple way of just saying, look, when you, when you have an experience that does not fit your expectation or it's new. So human beings only no, notice new things in their environment 
And then right. we accommodate them pretty easily. You walk down the road, you see a chair floating in the middle of the street, you would go, now that doesn't fit my experience of the world. What is going on? You take a look, you spend some time, you talk to other people, blah, blah, blah. You're trying to make sense of it. That's sense making. How do you bring meaning to that experience? What does this mean? Because a chair floating in the street objectively doesn't mean any one thing, but it could mean a gazillion things to different people based on how they're viewing it and what their experience is. But after a certain period of time, oh, that's just a chair that floats in the street. We don't really know what it means. And you walk by because now you because you can't hang on to everything. No, my gosh, you can you imagine? To, yeah, every new thing. I'd still be I'd still be fascinated by my soother. <gasps> <laughs> what is this? What can so we can't yeah. do that, right? So it goes in the inventory of lived experiences. We have a category for it. it. Belongs there. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe it doesn't. But we don't really notice it anymore. And so. So the alert moment is the initial moment where you ask the question, what does this mean? And it, mm. in our work with transformative volunteering, we create conditions where people are almost invited, not forced, but invited to a place where they, if they don't answer that, it becomes very weird. Mm -hmm. So um, when we go to a soup kitchen really quickly, I tell people we're not going to make a dent in hunger or nutrition and the poor are not a problem to be solved. We're not here as a bunch of white people. Typically they are. Um, trying to fix this community. That's not what's going on. They're instead, uh, we've invited you here so they can give you their gift, which is to remember what your humanity is about. Thank you for being here. Now, I, I give a longer version for that, but I, that's mm -hmm. the gist of it. And usually at the end of it, people will come up and say, well, I'm sorry, what? they're helping me? <laughs> Perfect. Now you're open. You've alerted to what is going on and you're going to orient to it. You're going to decide, you're going to decide what meaning you're going to bring to it. Every single time. Tony Robbins, and I didn't, I, I mentioned this at the, earlier in the call, um, but when he was young, he tells the story, he's told it a bunch of different times. When he's young, his dad, uh, they were doing bad financially. His dad was very angry and ashamed. And one Christmas, somebody came by um, with a box of food and he blew up. See, this is where everybody knows it. My shame is public and I want to, I want to burn the world. He was, he went on, he went into a rage, Tony says. Tony, on the other hand, is, oh, we're not alone. People know, and we're okay. We're safe. The, the same experience, food dropped off the house, two wildly different interpretations. So they alerted to it. This is different. What does it mean? They orient to it and act. This is how we're going to act in light of it. From that point on, Tony said, my life is about giving to other people what they need to survive and thrive. His dad I'm not sure, but it, what the actual behavior was, but his behavior after he alerted, oriented, brought that kind of meaning to it was a very destructive behavior for him and the family. Hmm. And so that alert, orient, and act is how we describe neural pathways, looking for other neural pathways to connect to so that we can see the world differently. And when we alert to the moment, acetylcholine, that's the chemical that allows these, this neuroplasticity to happen, not every time, but a lot of times. And then when we orient to it, that's when we either make the connection with the memory or, or the meaning, and mm -hmm. we strengthen it by rehearsing it, like kind of just going over it and reflecting, which is something you mentioned earlier in the call as well. Yeah. Just, just having it encoded, having that, uh, yeah. revisiting it over and over. So yeah. this is that kind of the working the steps then, right? So this is the constantly going back. This is the, so I think what you're saying is one of the takeaways uh, that we could learn from a 12-step process is the fact that you continue to revisit. You continue to work these out. You continue to do this in community. Yeah. Um, 
That's it. I think that's a really important thing. Sense making, you can, we don't know what we think about something till we say something about it. And we can do that internally far better in a lived experience, which is why you said in community, 12 steps mm -hmm. is not 12 steps on my own in a basement. Right. Now you can, you can do the work. You can journal. There's lots of stuff you do on your own, but you need to come to a group to help you process, uh, to reflect and bring meaning to it from multiple shared experiences. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love that. I love the way that you work with groups too. Um, it's not just on the event, but it's who they are together. Who do they want to be together? Right. And so when you decide as a employee group, what you're going to do, it's a deep reflection of who you are as a team and then how it shapes your, your team going back. And, and so it is this keep going. And I have to think about those, those one and done then, um, equity, inclusion, diversity, training things. There's the gap again that we've, and we've talked about this, I think last season when we talked about the Starbucks incident, um, the danger of one and done versus continue to work the steps. Okay. Yeah. Starting to make sense to me. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, and I, and I know you, um, have internalized a lot of this as well. And, and the starting to make sense is sort of an interesting connection for you because you don't, you know, end up working with. Mm -hmm these companies and that kind of thing. So, so I'm going to give you one more thing to, to, to make an interesting connection. I want to see what you think, because in, in my work, the purpose economy or purpose driven is, is yeah. huge right now in the private sector. I don't think most people know that it came from Christianity, Saddleback church, Rick Warren, purpose driven church, hot, hot, hot stuff in the early nineties. <laughs> um, now it's the kind of purpose economy. If we understand our purpose and the role we play in making the world a better place, that that's better than a mission or a vision. None of that is untrue, but I think the my worry about the emphasis on purpose is that it allows leader to say, leaders to say, this is the direction and this is why we, this is why we take that direction. So very clear on the why at company X, we do this and why we produce this product and why we think this makes it this missional approach. Missional approach, but right. we're going to avoid the word yeah. mission and yeah, I'll go yeah. the P word now, purpose. Right. The problem with purpose in my mind is that leaders are fundamentally architects of identity. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm going to put this in the show notes. It's a phenomenal, it's this uh, behavioral scientist who has a vast expertise in uh, identity theory. And he says that a true leader creates conditions and space where people can live into the best versions of themselves and bring that to their personal life, home life, whatever it may be, right? Um, but you you have the tools and insights you need to orient, to, to alert to multiple things and then orient. So it's tools to grow and change. It's the same as the 12 steps versus here's our purpose, play your role, you're okay. Purpose, if, it, if that's all we do as leaders at a company, allows us to very easily accommodate our behaviors to the new conditions, a bit like Billy Bob coming back, having had a great experience, but then coming back in his own conditions, he ultimately found himself, uh, you know, taking on those old behaviors. And with purpose, you could as well, but you just get to call them a little bit different something. You, you maybe you're a um, functional alcoholic in a way. I think I think purpose on its own is not enough. The same as DEI, training on its own can never create the conditions whereby people change 
not their minds, but their brains. Does that make sense how I explain I'm that? I'm wondering yeah. about uh, leadership uh, role and responsibility um, by title or rank. And so I wonder if what you've just described, is that only C-suite types? Or where do common yeah, people within a, within a, an organization say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm not the boss, but I have a small team of maybe 30 people that, yep. that, that I'm responsible to and for in, in many different ways. How do I do it if I'm not the boss? I think, well, I know you're setting us up to actually ask this question because if anybody else in my life asked me that question, I would say, oh, I need to get you on the call, a call with Jake McIsaac because he, <laughs> he, whether he's going to be, you know, prime minister of the country or he's running a, a security department at a university, a large university in Atlantic Canada, he's still going to get people to a place where it's like, it's less about what you did. Okay. So you've told mm -hmm. me multiple stories where somebody confronts somebody on the campus about doing something and they make a choice. And you said, I, I, I'm not, I'm not here to question the choice you made. Just explain the principles that you worked through mm -hmm. that we've all agreed. This is who we are identity and how that resulted in this choice. Right. I think you would say it much better than I just did, but yeah. I want everybody to know that you are a living example of you don't need to have the job title to be able to be a leader who is an architect of identity. Well, oh, I appreciate that. It's very, very nice uh, <laughs> thing to say. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess for me, then, then the answer would be if I'm going to take a run at my own <laughs> question, then. Um, you you is, like how I did that? I like, yeah, oh. the old flip it around. Yeah, uh, ping pong, boom, back at you would be a principled approach. So the principles are there. So it's maybe another word. Maybe it's like uh, the alliteration of purpose or something, but purpose and principles. And I think it's, it's, it's figuring out the who, who we are comes, it's rooted in principles and rooted in the, uh, I can't tell you exactly what to do and how to do it, but I can tell you who we are together. And you'll have to figure out that you're going to have to make those connections yeah. and then be able to articulate that and hang that on. So the principles become the scaffold for our decision-making. See, this, this is, is why I would send people to you. This is great. Right. So, so this is awesome. So I, okay. So I'm, I'm just tracking along then. So leadership within an organization that's healthy and thriving and purposeful. Uh, these are leaders that are, are asking people to do this deep reflection around I think what you're saying is deep reflection around who do we want to be? It's not just what do we do together, but who we are together as we do it. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And, and, and paying attention to those principles that, you know, again, going back to the huge emphasis of the private sector purpose, mm -hmm. that all works really well if you do this principle as well. Here's the purpose we're taking on as this is our identity. And as this is our identity, here are the principles we make around decision-making. That gets us far closer to the 12, 12 steps are basically 12 principles, right? The first thing you uh -huh, have to do uh -huh. is admit you have no control. If we were going to bias the principle, the 12 steps, we would say, I've come to the conclusion I have absolutely zero control over my implicit bias and I can't even see when it's happening. But I've also come to the point where I'm not a bad person for that. That I have to live in that, that there is... You know, mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm. community and people around me that can pull me out of that. Then the next step is, so what am I going to do about it? I'm going yeah. to make a decision 
then I'm going to start to address these principles. Okay, what's the first decision? Okay, let me make a fearless and moral searching inventory. Moral, I probably wouldn't use that word, but I know what they mean by it. So I want to, I want to fearlessly and without shame, right? Look at the potential biases. Okay. So I, I make that list. I watch myself, how I'm behaving with others, with my daughters. Do I use gendering language with other people in the community? Oh my gosh, I saw an Asian person. And this was the thought I had. I'm just going to make a note of that. It's a fearless inventory. I'm not afraid to notice my bias anymore because of my first step. Cause I admitted I have it. Then you go to step six. I'm not going to do all of them. I'll stop with this one. And then we become ready to say, I'm ready to do the hard work to have these biases removed, to address them, to be aware of them. I'm not afraid of them anymore. And I'm going to go to my community and just say, Hey, can you all help me with my shortcomings? This is step seven. I lied. I did another one. I'm going to go to my community and say, I I've noticed these. It's not a shame thing. I just want to live out a different set of principles versus the ones I inherited from like a million years of evolution. So I'm just going to, I just, I, I have done this with my daughters, right? Mm -hmm. I say you guys all the time. Am I hurting anybody? No. But the reason I've noted it on my moral inventory is that I, I want to be aware of every preference I have, I have for male gendering in my language because it's connected to something deeper inside of me that I want to root out. And so they help me. They'll, mm. they'll just notice it. And you know what? That was months ago. So I, I, now I say like you folks a lot, mm -hmm. it's very folksy way to do it. But I, so I think, I think these are principles. They're not a list of behaviors that we don't allow in the, in the office and a list of behaviors that we encourage in the office. The, there's a place for that list, but that list does not give me the tools I need to live a different life. Yeah. It just modifies my behavior to come out in ways that are not so socially unacceptable. Mm -hmm. I become a dry drunk. I'm still a raging addict and I am not sober, but I'm not drinking anymore. Mm -hmm. And, but for the way, anybody who has zero understanding of 12 steps, that is a big issue in addiction to be a, a dry drunk. Mm -hmm. Clean, clean versus. Yeah. yeah. Clean and sober means, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not drinking sober means, but I'm, I'm working the steps. I mean, mm -hmm. I have intention and I think we have a lot of clean DEI people yeah. and that is not a criticism of them. I think it's just, we're just learning this and we're just figuring it out. And fundamentally, if, if you don't hear anything else, and I know I'm going on here, but it, it is a voluntary journey. People need to have a moment where they think, oh my God, am I a racist? Cause you can work with that telling people, oh my God, you are racist done. It's over. The conversation is over 90% of the time, more than that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, maybe, maybe you want to set it up by telling them that they're just, just, just layer it. Just don't stop at racism. Just layer everything in that you're racist and you're misogynist and you're, oh. maybe one of those things will land and then they can, <laughs> you can, you can. Okay. To everybody, I just said, I would call Jake. So this is why I don't, because yeah. you're going to get you know, it's 50, 50, which response you're going to get. Okay. Hey, you want that to... is true. Yeah. <laughs> the people I work with uh, most closely know this to be very, very true. All right. So for those of you who are listening today, that uh, here are the, here are my things that I, that I want to remember Jake from this conversation. So I'm just going to call them out and be great. I'm curious to see which things are top of mind for you. Uh, number one, um, 
living by principles is quite different than living by lists, even though on paper you could call them both lists, right? Right, right. Secondly, the choice to deal with my implicit or unconscious bias, or even my conscious bias, needs to be voluntary. Telling me I have a problem threatens my identity. I will resist anything that comes after that. Inviting me to have an experience where I ask the question myself is the only way forward. And, and for those of you who are listening, employee volunteering is not the only way to do that, but it is a great way to do that because people will come to that space. And if we have intention and we just don't do something transactional, but we do something transformative and we create the conditions, you're, you're an architect of identity leading that. That's, that's your job. And the future of the species is on your shoulders in some part. So don't screw it up. That's my takeaway. Over to you, Jake. Well, you landed on on the thing that I'm going to be thinking about quite a bit is the architect of identity and, and thinking about what are the conditions required for people to be able to do some of the other things that you mentioned mm. about that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and to me, I mean, I started with that story of Bob and I, I think about those folks now as a bit of an architect of identity. I mean, they were paying attention yeah. to what, what was required to get out of, you know, get to the farm. Yeah. to create the space for this other work That's to be true. done, right? Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I have to think about where are the places and spaces I'm helping get people to the farm. If we title this, get people to the farm, I, that'll be, <laughs> that's not going to work. <laughs> it won't work. We'll find something, <laughs> we'll find some other line in this episode. All yeah. right. Great talking to you, Jake. Thank you again for your time. Uh, this is, it's fun. I like to think I'm sharing knowledge, but I always leave thinking I, I need to think more about that or write something or sense make. So now I'm going to try and bring a lot of meaning to this experience. Yeah. Same. All right. We'll see yeah. you next time. See you, buddy. Bye. This has been a Podstarter production. production.